Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I am Tony Heil, your host, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. Uh, and as you know, I've talked with someone from every state on this podcast at most levels of government, from school board and city council to state representative to members of Congress and even U.S. Senate. So uh, we've had a diverse amount, diverse kinds of law uh, office holders and from all over the country, including Washington, D.C. And today I'm excited to go back to Oklahoma. Uh, last time I talked to o- about Oklahoma on this podcast, it was with James Cooper, uh, who, who is in Oklahoma City. Learned a lot about how cool Oklahoma City is, and hopefully one day I can visit. But since I can't really visit many places right now, I'm going to talk to my new friend, state representative in Oklahoma, Jacob Rosencrantz. He's from Norman, Oklahoma, the same place as good old JR, and I was just listening to a podcast with Jim Ross, the host, the former voice of WWE and now AEW. Um, but today I'm going to listen to the voice of Oklahoma with Jacob. So, Jacob, thank you for talking with me today. Well, hey, thanks for having me on, Tony. And uh, my last name's Rosecrans, and it's kind of a running joke because uh, every, no, it's funny. No, listen, everybody at the Capitol, they, they put that extra N in there, Rosencrantz. That's the original name. We're, we're, it's German. But uh, my dad told us we changed it, you know, back in the day to, I guess, to Americanize it. But, yeah, Rosecrans is the last name, but Rosencrans is definitely the original. But <laughs> I just wanted to get that out of the way because I was like, still to this day, when they call me on the House floor, it's like, and we have Representative Rosencrans. <laughs> well, starting off on the right foot, and, and I know about German, you don't get a more German name than Heil, so. Um, That's true. I That's true. That. Uh so I'm excited to talk with you. I see that you're working on issues of uh, for kids, for education, and healthcare in Oklahoma. Um, but before you got to get into those yeah, those issues, you had to run for office. And the question I always ask people to start with is: Have you always been politically engaged, uh, or was it kind of thrust into your life? Well, I have a roundabout story about how I even ended up. Um, you know, being a, a state representative, but for all intents and purposes, um, I've always been a Democrat, a lifelong Democrat. Uh, my dad was a state employee. He was part of the union, so on and so forth. And that's the way I was raised. Plus, I didn't only live in Oklahoma. I lived in California and Colorado as well as a young child. My mom was a social worker. So I've always been kind of in that side of the political aisle or on that side of the political aisle, if you will. <laughs> To the point where, I swear, whenever I became a state representative, I represent the reddest part of Norman, and everybody was like, "How?" <laughs> you know, and we'll and we'll get into that, you know, a little bit later. But, um, but no, not necessarily. Um, have I ever been super duper political? I've always just been like, "I'm a Democrat. That's the way it is. We love workers. We love unions. Mm-hmm. We love families. So on and so forth." And Republicans like business, and that's about it. Um, but. Uh, beyond that, what really got me involved in politics to a level where I would actually run was when I became a teacher. I mean, it's really just that uh, uh, much of a, of a, of a goad or a, uh, a carrot, if you will, once you actually get into a, uh, a, um, a career that just seems to be forgotten, basically, here in Oklahoma and really across the United States. So I, uh, I became much more, I mean, I became an activist straight up when I became a teacher and, uh, you know, did whatever I could for my kids. You know, if that meant saying, hey, kids, this is a standardized test. Um, it's not, not graded. Please don't stress yourself out. And then, you know, getting called in the principal's office or whatever else. That got 
me activated. It was, it's always been ed- education that got me activated. So, yep, that's where we're at. And I know you you, know, you, you ran and won for the first time in 2016. Um, and Actually, I ran and lost in 2016. Well, you, oh, well, it says you've been in office since 2017. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me explain it to you. Um, so, I'm telling you, I had a roundabout way. So, yes. there was a, if we're ready for this particular question. I am. Okay, <laughs> let's go into it. So I was a teacher. I went to all these, uh, you know, teacher. Uh, we had these these walkouts kind of thing. Right. Not really, more just rallies. Um, in 2014 and 13, um, and oh no, I'm sorry, 14 and 15, and it got me really involved. And I was like, wow, we're really not doing anything. So I hollered at my my senator who was uh, going to push a voucher bill. People don't know what vouchers are. It's where you take public money a little bit and give it to uh, private schools. And I'm vehemently against that. And he was pushing a bill, and I was like, hey, listen, bro, if you don't answer my emails, I'm going to run against you. So I started out running for Senate. Um, it was just me <laughs> and a teacher friend of mine, and we created a Facebook page, literally not knowing anything else, that said Jacob Rosecrans for House um, for Senate District 15. And all of a sudden, he was like, a thousand likes, and everybody else didn't like this guy either. You know, <laughs> my teacher friend was going to be my campaign manager, and he was like, Nope, this is getting too serious. I'm out. <laughs> so I was just like on an island. And what really was a saving grace for me um, to actually even have a, uh, a decent race that year, like I said, I lost in 2016. I'll tell you kind of what happened, was I'm a Bernie guy. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a Bernie guy in the middle of Oklahoma. And the reason why, obviously very pro-public education, pro-union, but also um, uh, he, he's against money and big big politics, you know, money and politics. I am too. I don't like the idea of corporations having a say in things or, you know, lobbyists and things like that. So I really saw eye to eye with Bernie. And Oklahoma did really well for Bernie um, in the primary uh, went against Hillary. Um, actually, we went for Bernie. Mm-hmm. And so that was having to do with the, um, the grassroots movement. And I got caught up in that massive grassroots movement. And that's when I started running for senator. It was totally grassroots. Even the, uh, the, the, the establishment Democrats here were like, no, you shouldn't run, not as a Bernie guy. And there was so much pressure. And then finally, a, the 2016 Teacher of the Year, Sean Sheehan got, uh, he's an independent, and he jumped in the race against me and my particular senator, Senator Standridge. And I was like, nope, I'm going to back out because, dude, you, I've only been a teacher for, you know, five years. You're, too, uh, you're better. You go for it, dude. Um, now, he got destroyed, but then I went and I just changed my Facebook page to <laughs> Jacob Rosecrans for HD46 and found out that my um, state rep, who I had no problem with, he's a Republican, um, he had been in for 11 years, and we term out. We have 12-year terms. Mm-hmm. So he was going to term out. And so I was like, oh, this is perfect. I'll just go ahead and run against this guy as best I can, get my name out there, you know, probably lose, but at least do my best, and, um, you know, see where we can do. And because of that, Bernie helped, trust me, my, my Bernie supporters were always on the doors. It was very grassroots. We were always knocking doors. We didn't raise that much money that year, only $13,000, I think. And um, for a house race in Oklahoma, that's just nothing. Uh-huh. And um, But we were always on the doors, and so we ended up getting 40% of the vote, which was our big number. If I didn't get 40% or more, I was not going to run again because I just thought maybe this wasn't for me. And I was a poor teacher teaching at the same time, in a broke-down PT Cruiser. I mean, it was all very difficult. 
And I don't know if you know about Westside Norman. It's one of the most affluent districts in all of Oklahoma. So mm. it just was a weird, a weird match. But the one thing I had was that I was a teacher, still teaching. And, and, and education just happened to be that public education and the funding thereof was the number one, two, three, and four issue over here in, in Westside Norman, which has young families. And so I was able to get that 40% of the votes. And then what happened is that the guy that beat me, he took a position with the, the uh, Norman Chamber of Commerce and resigned. So that opened up the door completely for me in 2017 for a special election, which was just me against this guy, not during a, you know, during a presidential election. And, um, I was able to win that special election and so on and so forth. So that's how it all happened. And I know that from talking with James Cooper, who was also a teacher and ran and won in Oklahoma City for city council, um, you know, I've seen the pictures of the protests and everything happening in Oklahoma. That was and remains still a huge motivating issue for voters, right? It kind of. So here's what happened with that. <clears throat> it was, first of all, <laughs> I had just won. I was in the classroom, and they, they called a what's called a special uh, session because we were $1.4 billion in the hole. Mm -hmm. And um, so Governor Fallon at the time called a special session. So I had to go from my eighth grade classroom to the Capitol within days instead of having a normal time off until the session started. <laughs> so I was like, oh, my gosh, and it's $1.4 billion hole. What am I doing? So it was really interesting to have that happen. And then so that was 2017, the teacher walkout, the big one happening. 2018. So I was already up there, and it was funny. I led a march from one of the local high schools onto the Capitol where I was already working. <laughs> so I, I was so you know riled up by this whole big push for um, you know, not only teacher pay but respect and you know ending uh, ending of the draconian A to F scale, all these kinds of things. <clears throat> and it was funny because I was like, okay, we're here. Got to go to my office. <laughs> you know, it was, like, <laughs> it was a very strange thing. But also, honestly something that I never hoped to see again, but as a former teacher, it was, you know, it was Disneyland for me. I had mm -hmm. all my teachers from around the state, and I even made a point to not just stick around my desk to where there was a line in my office. I made a point to go out to the three-hour line to get into the building and talk to all those teachers in case they didn't get in, and just really made my name with that. Like, it was everybody, <laughs> I, just to give you an example, there were so many eyeballs on my page as a new guy that I decided just to put a link to my donation page up there without anything else. Just, hey, I'm just putting this up here and you know, try to help a teacher win office because I'm going to have to run again in 2018, which was that year, because mm -hmm. it was a special election. I just finished up my uh, my opponent's um, term, so I had to run again. So I had to run three years in a row, 16, 17, 18. And I, I raised $5,000 off one, one little link. <laughs> I was like, God. So it was a big thing, huge thing. You know, it was covered nationwide because like, well, oh my gosh, there was like 80,000 teachers out there at some point. And, um, and something happened. So, yes, the teacher pay raise was, was passed. But, what, unfortunately, with the, the really the huge imbalance politically we have here, anybody who voted against the uh, teacher pay raise, they were Republicans, they were very, very conservative, and they were replaced in their primary. But this did not lead to more Democrats. This led to less Democrats. It mm -hmm. led to more um moderate Republicans, and, and we went from 28 Democrats to 19. So um, there was no rhyme or reason because, you know, we had very good pro-public education Democrats put out. It's a rural-urban split. That's the rhyme or reason that we figured out. So out in the urban, um, the rural areas, Republicans will win even more moderates. 
But then when they get to the, the capital, they just fall in line with whatever it is because, you know, out of 101 state reps, there's 19 of us and the rest are Republicans. And so they have to fall in line or they get, you know, sidelined. So, man, it's been such a journey. <laughs> and I, I've heard that in so many states from uh, Utah to, um, where did I hear Kansas and many, many other, Missouri, where over and over again that there were older school Republicans, like you said, you grew up thinking like um, Democrats are for labor and Republicans are for business. So mm-hmm. you might call them business Republicans. And they may be, you know, people you would be friends with no matter what. It's nice people, but, you know, kind of conservative. And if they stray at all, they lose a primary. And so they, and, the replacement is worse. And so it's like Democrats have to work the best they can with the moderate Republicans um, or fear for what could be replacing them. Absolutely. <clears throat> That's what it's come down to. And they're so afraid, too, of mm-hmm. being primaried as well because, uh, well, especially during the Trump era, you know, a lot of the more moderates didn't like Trump or his policies, but you certainly couldn't be that way especially if a far-right person ran against you. And out here in Oklahoma, the main issues, as I'm sure it is in every rural district, is um, abortion and guns. And, uh, and now, you know, social issues like LGBTQ plus issues. Um, those, those are it. And so if you're going to be modern on those issues, you're, you're most likely going to get beat if you get um, primary. Mm-hmm. Well, this was opposite. So after the teacher walkout, it was the exact opposite. The moderates beat the really hardcore, never-taxed Republicans. The, the ones that voted no on the teacher pay raise were replaced. Teachers were massively engaged. Now, as soon as they got those moderates in, they were not massively engaged. Mm. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, come on, carry through. And no Democrats won we even lost seats. So, so that, it was uh, that's, crazy. That seems like um, one of those things that's similar to Missouri and some other states, too, in that the, the, there are some issues that you just cannot touch, but like Missouri passed Medicaid expansion, as did a few other states. Um, Oklahoma. Um, yeah, we sure did. Yep. And so there are some issues that you can break through in as long as you're not, you know, riling people up with certain issues that will doom you, especially in more conservative parts of a district or state. Absolutely. It's one of the reasons why, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm some kind of unicorn for out here in this red district. It's a 60-40 Republican-Democrat split. But I am a Bernie Democrat in a 60-40 Republican split district. Mm-hmm. So what's the, what's the magic, you know, how? How did that happen? It's public education. It's young families. That's the piece. We get about 20% of Republican crossover whenever we have an election. And that keeps us going. And I don't really even have to stray into some of the more hardcore, you know, um, red meat, if you will, issues, because everybody's like, oh, well, oh, you're the teacher. I like you. I'll vote. And then, or, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, you're a good Democrat. I got you. You're, 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 you're for our public schools and our kids. I'm like, you bet. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, we don't dig in any further than that. So, and, and why um, would you? It, like, it, I it feel helps. like a lot of people, a lot of Democrats feel like they got to check off every single box. And most voters really only care about three things. And that's, different per voter, but, and that's not a knock on voters, it's just people aren't looking for a whole spreadsheet of issues from everybody. That's right. And I try to tell some local Democrats that too. Now, there's such a thing, we have very bad gerrymandering, mm-hmm. but it goes both ways. We have very blue districts. We have very, very, um, well, mine's, mine's gerrymandered. So I've gotten affluent 
west side of, of, a, of a college town, so it's, you know, doctors, things like that, attached to a southern uh, town just south of Norman uh, called Noble, which is, you know, 80% Republican. So uh, it's just a very, very interesting mix. But the common thread throughout all of it is public schools. People love their public schools. And I'm so over the top. I'm not going to say a single issue candidate, but so over the top with that, that I think a lot of people look past some of the, uh, you know, oh, the National Democrats, Nancy Pelosi and stuff like that. They're like, no, 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 Jacob is a teacher. Trust him on education. My kids are going to school. I'm going to vote for him, that type of thing, you know. And we've just, we've stayed in our lane. And it just is what it is. Yeah, and I sometimes, even here in Pennsylvania and some of our my more Democratic area, um, you see some state legislators talk about national things that that's fine, but I don't really see how that applies to what you're doing in Harrisburg or what you're doing down in Oklahoma. Well, exactly. Now, one of the main things, my campaign manager didn't really want me to become a uh, chair for the Bernie uh, campaign this year, mm-hmm. um, but it was my heart. I wanted to do it. I was asked to do it, and I was like, sure, I'll be, an, uh, uh, I'll be a chair for the guy that basically got me in politics, you know? Um, but it was, a, it was an interesting decision. I barely won my last election. I don't think it was that. I do think it was Trump on the top of the ticket, and a lot of Republicans showed up that day of because they felt that Trump needed them to show up. And if you look at the numbers, we have something here in Oklahoma that not every other state has either. We have what's called straight party voting, where you just click a, a, a party, and it, and it takes care of it for you. Right. That's horrible. That's really bad because I have to fight against that every, every, every election. Um, you know, I could have the name recognition. I can have all the money raised. But if you're just going to vote straight party because that's what you see out of Iowa, I have to break that down. I have to break out of a straight party mindset into actually voting individually for the people, you know. So that's uh, I think that's what keeps this state so red, to be honest with you. And, and I know that it can only be changed with the change of the Constitution. So that would be, a, you know, an initiative petition, which we're, I think people are working on that right now. But strangely enough, Tony, this used to be a, a Democrat state. This used to be a blue state. Totally blue. Now, these are Dixiecrats out there, so not like what you think. But um, it's really turned now because it's an urban uh, rural split. Almost all the Democrats have the urban areas, and there's no Democrats in the in the rural areas except for me in that tiny little town in south of Norman, which really isn't a rural area because it's so close to a, a big college town. So, yeah, boy, it is, uh, it is interesting to see everything change. And that happened pretty quickly in, in all take everything into perspective, within about 12 years, we went from Democrats ruling everything to Republicans being even, to Republicans taking the lead, and then from Republicans super-duper quadruple majority in the House, Senate, and the governor's you know, seat. So. Right, mm. and, and I hear, pe- I, I follow a lot of people who talk about trends, and they're like, oh, well, this state or this town or this district um, are getting out of the hands of Democrats or out of the hands of Republicans, you know, here, there, you know, let's talk about Georgia being the next Virginia. Let's talk about some other state moving to be uh, more conservative. Um, but those trends can change quickly. Now, what you obviously had a formula for your district. Do you think that there's much hope for people like you to run and win in other places in Oklahoma and beyond? Well, I do. Um, but you got to be smart about it. Mm-hmm. I kind of fell into it. I, I honestly didn't know what I was doing. But I ended up running against a guy who was going to term out in 2018 anyway. 
So I, and, and that was before, you know, a Democrat said, oh, I'm going to take a shot at this. Well, first of all, it was a 60-40 Republican split district. I don't think any Democrat wanted to take a shot at it. And I was just crazy enough to do it. And then obviously lost but won. So, yeah, it's a weird recipe. I don't think you can repeat that necessarily. Or you might be able to. If you look at the numbers and see if there's, and this is 60-40, but only in name only. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's turning a little more purple. The Republicans that are out here, for the most part, are um, very pro-business, but not so much, uh, you know, they're, they're almost socially um, liberal, strange enough. Mm-hmm. And that's, I'm sure that's kind of the way it goes with most suburban areas. But, um, so yeah, I think the suburbs is our area, man. I think that's where it is. Those are reliably red areas that are now turning purple that will be blue, I think, in the next few years. Um, and we've got a bunch of them because, you know, we've got the, not all, not all of them. Now we've got one called Moore that's bright red as it possibly can be in Yukon. That's white flight from the, from the urban areas, you know. Right. Um, but Norman and Edmond, these are areas where we have small colleges, well, big college down here, but Edmond has what's called University of Central Oklahoma. And it's got Republican reps right now, but I think that if the Democrats are smart, kind of like me, and they see when this person's going to, um, uh, you know, term out, go ahead and give it your best darn shot. But then don't quit if you lose, you know. Aim for a certain number and then run again. It's hard, trust me, to get out there and know that you're probably going to lose. It doesn't matter. If you have the passion to do it, you got to get out there and do it and not just play around. Don't, yes, raise money. You have to do that. But the number one, million one issue is to get out and knock doors and have those conversations. That way, you're not just some faceless Democrat when the $200,000 of dark money mailers come out against you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, that's I, what I have to deal with, you know. I just talked with a state rep from Kansas, Ree Hu, um, and he said he would go home from his work and um, every day he would knock doors for two hours and that's how he won. He, you know, he, not just because of the door knocking, but because of outworking anyone else that would consider running. And yeah. I think, you know, from, from my experience talking with so many people here and not, including my own work in politics, it, it real in order for Democrats and others who want to pass good legislation to win, you really need to stop whining and start working. 100%. Um, also, I think the Democrat, the party, need to quit looking for you know bright, shiny suits, people mm-hmm. that look good. Um, well, you look great, Jacob. Look you're old. Oh, you're stop. just you're, like, I'm sitting here, I saw your pictures, and you look like you're t- like 30, and I'm pretty jealous because I'm slightly <laughs> younger than you, and I feel like I need to step it up. Listen, I have gained 25 pounds with this damn COVID where I'm working from home. Me too. Which I think a lot of people did. <laughs> but um, my girlfriend says I wear it well. I'll take that. But um, <laughs> the gray hairs have, have come. It's a very, very, very disappointing session this year because um, we had, you know, everything stopped in its tracks last year. And so all the bills that, uh, that were backed up, on top of the bills we're run this year, we only got 22 Democrat bills across from the House to the Senate. That's the low, lowest I have ever heard. My one of mine, one of them was mine, which hey, victory. But um, that's that just goes to show you, and a lot of gray hairs come from this. And and another thing I do that maybe might be something that not everybody can do. I don't stand up and debate in the House a lot. Mm-hmm. My reasoning is I do still have a 60-40 district. If I had a blue district. 
I would be burning. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I'd get up and I'd fight and be like, yeah, hey, but I don't. And my district doesn't really enjoy that. They enjoy me being as accessible as humanly possible, which I am, and I try to be. This job's 24-7 for me. If somebody emails me at midnight, I'm going to handle it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, personally, personally, I have a legislative assistant, but I, I'll do it. Those emails come to my phone. So if I see it, I'm like, oh, yeah, here, let me try to help you out. That's how I think I stay in office, even as a Democrat, because I don't ask anybody, hey, what party are you? I'm just like, no problem. Let me get on that. This is who you contact, so on and so forth. And they, they leave like, wow. Well, my state rep just helps me. I'll remember that. You know, I don't ask them to remember it, but, I'll, but usually they kind of do. So mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't know, man. It, I appreciate the compliments, but I'm telling you right now, I, I, I'm not your typical chosen Democrat. Okay, right. usually it's like lawyers, people like that. They don't, they didn't want a poor teacher out in, in House District 46 with a broke down, no AC uh, uh, PT cruiser where the cops were called twice because I was in a nice neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's not. That's not anybody's choice, but I worked my way into respect. Mm. By the time that first year when I had knocked, I think, over 5,000 doors at one summer, <laughs> people were like, who's this Jacob Rosecrans guy? <laughs> like, what? And, <laughs> and, hopefully they pronounced, yeah, and hopefully they pronounced your name right after that. That's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that, it still doesn't happen, but that's okay, even in high school. But I'm telling you, that's the way to win, and... So if you get, like, a guy that can raise a lot of money, congratulations, you get a ton of mailers out of that guy. But if he's not willing to go knock doors, you're not going to win. I'm sorry. It's, it's, things have changed, too. I mean, mailers can only do so much. I know, because right. during the pandemic, I chose not to knock a door. Now, that's crazy talk, right? That's crazy talk. And I almost lost. Um, I only won by 79 votes. But wow. our turnout here in this district was the highest turnout in the entire state. That, that, that means that I didn't just sit on my laurels. That meant that I you know, put out tons of mailers. I um, did a ton of door hangers, maybe not door knockers, but I would never have even thought about doing that and had I not knocked thousands and thousands and thousands of doors straight through from 16, 17, 18. And, um, you know, that's three straight years. That's not normal. Usually, you know, it takes a couple of years off. And then, no, it's three straight years of just a bulldozer of Jacob Rosecrans <laughs> going through the district, you know. And, um I think it really just helped me out in the end there. Now, I'll never not knock doors again. I really should have done it. But the pandemic was freaky at that time. I, I don't wish running for office on anybody during a damn uh, uh, <laughs> viral pandemic. It was not cool. And politics had gotten so bad here that you could lose votes for wearing a mask and you could lose votes for not wearing a mask. I know. So I it's, like, you know what? Not even doing it. It's really frustrating. Well, first of all, I like I've been vaccinated, thankfully, and um, I went to get petitions this year because I'm up for elections this year and friends are. And so I had, you said like, some people who were happy to come out and sign it and a lot of other people who were like, just, no, I'm not even answering the door. So it's, yeah, it's a challenge. Yeah. But, um, you know, did you realize one, you didn't run for office about a pandemic. You had no idea there would be one. Um, and, it, and if you did, why didn't you stop it? Um, but two, um, how quickly did you realize that this was going to be ridiculously political? Well, pretty quick, because unfortunately, so what happened? Uh, the, the George Floyd situation was nationwide, and that's here in Oklahoma as well. This is a college town. This is a blue town. Mm -hmm. This is a very, very blue city. It is not blue on the outskirts. 
not blue in my district. It's not blue out by what we call Lake Thunderbird, which are on the outskirts. So far east is Lake Thunderbird, and far west is my district. Um, so extremely, extremely, almost extremist in the middle of, of the, uh, the city, you know, push for defunding of our police. Now, they didn't get it, but a compromise was struck where it was $800,000 less they were going to receive, but they still get 33% of the city budget. So I thought, hey, cool, great, great job compromising. No, a group of people uh, glommed onto that and created what's called Unite Norman, and that sounds like a wonderful name, but again, they always use good titles for things that are insidious. Mm-hmm. And this was basically a very well-funded from, from some local um, uh, uh, local developers who really want some of the land out here, um, along with very, 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 very almost libertarian pro-police people. And they really did push a thing. So they, the first thing they did, and I'm sure this happened around the United States, was try to get um, uh, our mayor and, and the council members who were involved in this uh, recalled. And they did. They, they tried their very best. And they were out there every day. So during my own campaign, I had these, I'm not going to say all of them are crazy, but Unite Norman people out there at the exact same time as I was out there. And my opponent, who was an unknown, complete unknown, she was smart enough to glom onto that. She jumped on full force, Unite Norman, and had the full backing of them as well. Um, and before, she hadn't raised more than 7000 bucks, so I wasn't really thinking I was going to have that big a raise, except for straight party voting, you know, and Trump being on the ticket. But that was a wake-up call when she got in with them, because, again, they're shiny, they have their own money, their mailers, their own little um, you know, data set where they can knock doors and things like that, and all this. So, yeah, I learned pretty fast, man, that this was going to be, and, and that's a city issue. So the fact that the biggest issue that kind of hurt me was a city issue, not any kind of a state issue, right. was really kind of where I, where I woke up. I was like, and I never took a stand either. Yes, I definitely did show up to some protests, some peaceful ones with police officers, um, you, you know, nothing, nothing violent, um, more rallies, I guess you could say. And I did take a stand by saying, listen, I think we need some reforms. That's not saying too much, but I don't know what those reforms are. We should listen to all, you know, all the stakeholders. Something something very political to where I really didn't have to take, take a stand, even though many of the Unite Norman people, like I said before, were from my own district. Mm-hmm. Now, they weren't going to vote for me anyway, but they were united, and they woke up. So, yeah, that's about where I figured out that I probably should go knock some doors, but I just couldn't pull it together. I did, I did. I said I didn't knock any. I knocked for about two weeks, and nobody came to the door, or they already said that they're voting for me. So I was like, this is a waste of my time. Let's try to figure out a different way around this. We invested in a tech system where we could actually text and talk. So it's like it's called virtual door knocking, and that seemed to do the trick. But uh, that was super expensive. But, um, yeah, just we had to think outside the box, and we knew it was going to be close. All our modeling said within 2%. So um, it didn't say 79 votes. <laughs> but, hey. What can you do? That that day of vote, there was no way. I mean, we prepared for it, but down in Noble, where the votes don't really come very much, I think the most that's ever come out of that area in a small town is 300 votes. 1,400 people voted, and not much of that was for me. So yeah, um, I I, was, I just spoke with a, Repu- with a Democratic state rep from another state who said, you know, all these Republicans trying to limit voting or um, change voting rules in our their state. They're just shooting themselves in the foot because they're the ones that benefited from a lot of these voting rules this year. And now, like a lot of the changes that some Republicans are doing 
for because of national conspiracy reasons might come back to hurt them as opposed to hurting the other party. Well, Tony, I think Trump would have won had he kept his mouth shut. I truly believe that. I really do. Um, I dominated so hardcore on the mail-in vote that we had a massive lead all the way until that last precinct was counted. You know, it was a total lead. She was catching up. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> but I had such a massive lead because of mail-in voting, and that was just it. That was what made the difference. Um, Republicans flat out didn't mail-in vote for for the most part. Some did. Don't get me wrong, but not in the massive numbers that we had. And that's what we spent the most money on, too, is to make sure that we got our voters out, uh, you know, uh, with the mail-in vote, things like that. We had already been investing in that for other elections, so we had kind of a, uh, a feel for what we were doing. And I don't have really a, um, a high-paid consultant group either. I have a friend of mine who went to high school with me who was, you know, in education and decided to get out. And she, she's my, my campaign manager, and she does my field. Beyond that, I just kind of, we, we don't have the big high-dollar people, you know. So it's always been one of those things where I, I love to have the grassroots mixed with the, the more, I guess, professional um, uh, campaign. It's just always been my style, and it's always been kind of different. Where people are like, oh, wow, you, got, you really are a man of the people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. That's exactly what I'm trying to be. But, yeah, man, um, whew. There's no, there's no, no doubt about that. It, it, some of what these Republicans have chosen to do, especially nationwide, has come back to bite them. I swear. It had, had, had Trump left that alone and not harped on that, I think he'd be our president still. Just throwing it out there. It might, yeah. It, there's a lot of things like that where um, it could have. But one thing that we know did happen is that, like you said, you knew you were going to be part of a significant minority in the legislature. Um, you continue to run knowing that's the likelihood. There are a lot of districts where people, we need someone to come and work to win. Why would you encourage other people to fight that uphill battle to run for office? Well, it's got to be your passion. Mm -hmm. So you can't be talked into doing something like this. If somebody has to talk you into running, you need to get your butt out. 100%. You should not be talked into running. It has to be your passion. It has to be your heart. Um, my heart is always fight for public education and because we have such problems no matter what the you know national landscape looks like or anything else i'm always going to be able to be up there and fight and fight for our public schools and our children and and the families that need the help too and that's the reason why i run i'm okay with not passing more than one bill four years right i i'm okay with that i'm more happy with making sure that we don't get any voucher bills on the, on the house floor which we never have in my time here even though Many, many are um, introduced. Um, those are little victories for me that make me, especially in the dark times, where I realize, man, I really have to keep going. Plus, I said before, I'm kind of a, a unicorn. If I chose not to run, I think it goes back to the Republicans, even though they don't need this seat in any way, shape, or form. But I feel like that's what would happen. So I have a responsibility for my base, which is pretty loud now, and it includes Republicans, the people that I call them, you know, Rosecrans, uh, uh, the Rosecrans Army. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. what it is. And, um, you know, after Harry Potter, Dumbledore's army. Yes. And, um, and I think that I would just be, if I didn't come back, I would just, all, all their faith in me would just be evaporated. And, again, I, I, I don't know if I, if we could count on this seat to stay blue. I really don't know. So, again, you got to have the passion. If it's public schools that get you out there and knock on those thousands of doors, then that's what it is. If it's labor issues, 
if it's uh, uh, veterans issues, whatever it is you're passionate about, and you know you can make a difference in the state or uh, you know congressional level. Congressional, congressional is a totally different story. You have to raise like millions of dollars. But down here, you can raise a minimum like thirty thousand bucks, and as long as you're knocking doors every single day with a plan, it can't just be every door. It has to be uh, you know a vote a, a planned out, like right. you know who you're knocking doors and all that good stuff. You do that. You're going to have a pretty good chance to win, especially maybe not in a, like a 70-20 district, or I'm sorry, 70-30, but any kind of 60-40 or purple district. I think a Democrat could win as long as they're willing to put that work in. That's the main key. Work first. Everything else will come to you from that. That's at least what I've noticed. And maybe a Democrat doesn't win a 60-40 district or an 80-20 or 70-30 district, but by someone running, they're going to they're going to narrow the margins so maybe that person running for Congress wins or makes it more competitive. Maybe that person running for some other position wins because the someone like you, Jacob Rosecrans, is running for office and bringing in voters that someone else wouldn't do. Well, that's a really good point, too. And we're having that issue. That we had so many um, Republicans that didn't have races this last year. Now, obviously, I think a lot of Democrats are scared of the Trump factor and the, um, the pandemic. But there was so many. There was like 40 or 50 that ran um, un. N nobody ran against them. Right. So I was like, wow, that's horrible. Now, most of those are rural areas, but still, you're right. We have to have somebody run against each one of these. Because what ended up happening, they were able to sit back, relax, fundraise, and then dump in against us in these purple districts. Like I said, $200,000 was spent against me. And that was from GOP, not the state GOP, from the House. Senate uh, of Republicans that could just sit back, relax, and just dump mailer after mailer after mailer after mailer. It, it paid door knockers. I mean, it was a pretty big move down here to try to get rid of me. So, and they didn't do it. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're there. And um, I really encourage people to follow Jacob because he's got the optimism that we need in office, and obviously he's a hard worker. Um, but Jacob, you know, most people listening to this probably don't live in Oklahoma and aren't going to be there anytime soon. So, um, if people want to follow you and learn more about your story, learn more about what you're passing, or learn more about what's not not good, um, where how should they follow you on social media? Yeah, so um, Facebook's my love language because um, I can actually explain things. You know, Twitter's like quick little characters, and my Facebook's really easy. It's just Representative Jacob Rosecrans. Mm -hmm. Just look for that, and you hit a like, and then you're going to be in on everything I've got going on. Um, right now, just to let you know, my big my big push has always been to, um, <laughs> not kidding, to make school fun again uh, somehow, because uh, right now I think that we're making, we've over-standardized it, and there's too many tests, and it's just a joyless place to be for kids and teachers. So one of my big pushes right now is what's called the Oklahoma um, Play to Learn Act, which if you follow me, you're going to get a whole bunch of that. Um, and what that does, it protects and strengthens the uh, uh, and empowers our early childhood educators to teach using play, using play-based learning. Right now, it's kind of gone the way of the dinosaur, but it's a very conservative idea because hands-on kinesthetic learning is where I learned whenever I was in kindergarten, puppets and things like that. So that is not the way it is anymore. So that little bill in the Senate, um, it's moved all the way from the House to the Senate, and it, uh, it's going to be up for a hearing pretty quick. So that's something fun. It's my only bill I have left alive, but hey, we'll take victories where we can find them. So yeah, Facebook, um, but also Twitter, at Jacob Rosecrans. I am getting better at that. And then I have an Instagram as well, and that's at Rep Rosecrans. 
Well, whatever format you use, I really encourage you to listen and follow Jacob. Things he's doing to promote um, schools and kids are useful, not just in Oklahoma, but they're ideas that work anywhere. And maybe you'll learn something and maybe you'll be inspired too. And, you know, Jacob, I'm sure you agree. Hopefully, maybe you'll be encouraged to run for office, right? Well, hey, there, you know, people have already asked me to run for a bigger office out here because um, our, our congressional, the Republicans aren't in charge up there anymore. They're in the minority. So they're like, well, maybe maybe they won't run that hard, whatever. But with straight party voting, my friend, I just don't know if it's doable. So trust me, I'm looking at these things. I would love to run for something bigger. Or um, some people have asked me to run for state superintendent of public instruction, so, you know, state, state uh, superintendent of education. I have turned that down because I think there's better candidates out there. But, but who knows? You know, there's something to be said about somebody with that passion to get through all the way and and and, uh, and and do something bigger than what I've got going on. Plus, we have term limits, so I've definitely got my eye on something. I just don't know what yet. <laughs> well, we'll be following Jacob, and hopefully Jacob will be following you if you're listening, to, that maybe you'll be encouraged to share his story and be inspired to run, too. And um, So everyone follow Jacob, learn what he's doing. And Jacob, I'm excited. I wish you the best of luck. And, uh, Norman, home of the good old JR and home of Jacob Rosecrans. Hey, home of the Sooners, too. And also, yes, anybody listening to this, you can run if you believe in yourself and if you will put in the work. I promise you, you'll see, you'll, you'll see dividends. As long as you get the basic, bare minimum of raising enough money to get um, walk cards and you have somebody who can run your what's called field, get on those doors, get your message out there. Don't overthink it and run for something. Great. Thank you so much, Jacob. I wish you the best of luck. Thanks, Tony.